Good morning. Thanks to John and the band for leading us in our time of sung worship. It's, um, it's always good, isn't it? We don't take it for granted anymore, the ability to come to church and to, to sing together as a fellowship, to enjoy dwelling in the presence of God, because that's what we are doing when we're here this morning. A church is, is, a, is a house of God, and although God is present through his spirit anywhere we go in the world, there is something sacred about gathering for worship. So today we're going to be continuing with the, uh, the series Through the Storm. And um, I've, I've quite enjoyed this series. I hope you have too, um, because I've put it together. So, you know. Um, but no, it's, it's been good, because I've, I've found that as I've, as I've read passages that have been familiar to me, and stories that I thought I knew inside out, God's revealed to me bits and pieces that I'd never noticed before. And through the research and through just just coming together and talking to people after sermons and things, I've, I've, I've come to have a whole new appreciation of something that I thought I knew very well. And it's great when God does that for us, isn't it? Yeah, yeah good. Um, and of course, I was completely outdone last week. I leave Charlotte alone for one week. <laughs> like a boat in a baptistry, honestly. Whatever next? No, it's, 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 it's great. And it wasn't it good to see the baptistry open? Yeah. Like to do that again sometime. Just saying, you know. Anyone, anyone feels called to be baptised? It's always there. The tap's always ready to be switched on. We can even warm up the water for you. And we'd love to see more people being baptised. But today, today we are focusing on another storm. And so far, we've had, um, we've had Noah, the story of Noah, where God sent, God sent a storm to flood the earth. It was all very much part of God's plan. And he gave very clear direction to Noah to, to build the ark and who to, who to take on it and what animals to put on it. And it was a really clear, direct part of God's plan. We then had Jonah. And we saw Jonah trying to run away from God because he was called to go to a place that he didn't feel safe. And so God sent a storm to bring Jonah to his senses, to show Jonah that there is nowhere you can go that is beyond my control. There is nothing you can do to get away from me. I am, I am all over the world. And so when I tell you to go somewhere, you better go there. And Jonah has to throw himself off the boat in the middle of the storm to what he thought would probably be certain death in order for God to then um, show Jonah that he actually would save him and protect him. Um, Then, of course, we had Jesus calming the storm. Again, we we see the storm as a force of nature, but we see the authority of Jesus to just calm that storm. When the disciples were fearing for their lives in the boat and they were being thrown all over the place and we think to ourselves, yeah, I'd be exactly the same if I was in a boat like that, going through a storm like that. But it's a reminder that we have faith in God who has authority over the forces of nature. A God who can simply say, be still. And it is. Well, today we have a slightly different sort of storm, and next week there's an altogether different sort of storm, because next week is the first storm that takes place away from the sea. There's no, um, there's no danger of drowning in next week's storm, but we'll come to that next week. But today there was very much a risk of drowning. Today we're going to be looking at Acts 27. Now, I'm not going to read the entire chapter straight off now. We're going to work through it piecemeal as we go through the sermon. 
But just to, um, before we go into Acts 27, we're just going to jump back slightly to Acts 25, because we need to understand, Paul in Acts 27 finds himself on a boat in a storm, which is why it was chosen as a suitable passage for the series. But why is he on that boat? Well, he's on that boat because he's a prisoner. When we read the book of Acts, um, there's there's loads, there's loads in the book of Acts. If you've never sat down and read it from start to finish, then try and set set aside the time at some point in the next couple of weeks to do that, because it is a fascinating study of so many different aspects of our faith and our church and our relationship with God. Acts is a brilliant, brilliant book. But Paul's journey is really interesting, because when we get to the latter stages where we're going to be looking at today, we see Paul almost constantly as a prisoner. And the reason for that is because Paul becomes absolutely fixated on getting an audience with Caesar. The whole region was part of the Roman Empire at this time, and so the ultimate authority in the world was Caesar. In fact, when um, whichever emperor was on the throne at the time, when they died, they were actually made a god most of the time. And so... And so to have an audience with Caesar was as close as the Roman world believed you could get to having an audience with a god. So throughout the latter stages of the book of Acts, we see Paul going on trial time and time again. And time and time again, we see, um, we see a judge sitting there saying, this man's not really done anything wrong. He might have incited a bit of uproar in the, in the town or the city where he was. Um, we, can, we can give him a fairly meagre punishment for that, but he's not actually done anything wrong. We can let him go. But Paul insists that he gets an audience with Caesar. And so he goes on, on, on quite a long journey, going from place to place, working his way towards Rome. And we see in, in, um, in Acts chapter 25... In verse 11, we see Paul, again, he's in a trial, and he says, um, he says, I am now standing before Caesar's court where I ought to be tried. I've not done any wrong to the Jews, as you yourself know very well. If, however, I'm guilty of doing anything deserving death, I do not refuse to die. But if the charges brought against me by the Jews are not true, no one has the right to hand me over to them. I appeal to Caesar. After Festus, who was the the governor of the town he was in, had conferred with his council, he declared, you've appealed to Caesar, to Caesar you will go. So Paul is saying, don't hand me over to the Jews. I know they're the ones that I've upset and annoyed, but but you can't hand me over to the Jews. You, You need to try me yourself. I demand to go before Caesar. And that's why Paul, by the time we get to chapter 27, is on this boat, a prisoner of the Roman soldiers that he was with, because he himself has insisted that he gets taken before Caesar. This was a big claim, and Paul knew that actually going before Caesar, wasting Caesar's time, saying anything that could upset Caesar, that was certain death. And it was probably going to be a pretty brutal, painful death to make a public demonstration to warn people not to waste Caesar's time and upset him. But Paul was so sure that Caesar needed to hear the good news of Jesus. He needed to hear Paul's testimony that Paul was prepared to take that massive, massive risk. And so we find ourselves in verse 27, when Paul and some other prisoners have been handed over to 
a Roman centurion named Julius. He belonged to the Imperial Regiment, we're told. And they set sail with the aim of reaching Rome. Now Luke begins chapter 27 with some explanation of, of, um, of, of where they went, the sort of the, um, the journey details. But we're going to dive straight in to verse 7. The plan was, by this point, that the boat they were on was going to take them to Italy. And then they were going to work their way up Italy until they got to Rome. But in verse 7, Luke says, We made slow headway for many days and had difficulty arriving off Nidus. When the wind did not allow us to hold our course, we sailed to the lee of Crete, opposite Salmon. We moved along the coast with difficulty and came to a place called Fair Havens, near the town of Lassie, or Lassia. Now, you're sailing in slightly choppy waters, you've already been blown off course. Surely, surely, if you don't believe in, in God, at least you could see it as a good omen to reach somewhere called Fair Havens. That would be quite an appealing place to end up, you would have thought. But unfortunately, the people that Paul was sailing with were quite impatient. They wanted to make up lost time. Rather than saying, look, the, the weather's not being kind, these are dangerous conditions, we need, to, we need to stay here for the winter. They decide that they want to... Um, they want to take on the elements and set sail. Now, before we go any further with the story, I just want to jump forward to the mid part of the chapter. And the reason for that is because um, in the mid part of the chapter, we get to a section in the middle of a storm. Things are awful. The crew and um, everybody on board have been battered and beaten and bits of the ship have been thrown overboard and the cargo's, cargo's been jettisoned. There's been, there's been clouds in the sky so they haven't been able to see the stars to navigate by. They are in dire straits. And the crew, the experienced sailors, decide they've had enough. And so they lower the lifeboat to save themselves. Now... When any ship, when any organisation goes through a storm, the experienced sailors are the ones needed to guide it to safe port, to get it through the storm. But you see, we see, we see the experienced sailors here saying, enough's enough, we can't do this, we're going to lower the lifeboat and we're going to go. But before they do that, what they do, being experienced sailors, is they drop four anchors this, this ship they were on, it would, have been, um, it would have been more like a barge, apparently, and um, it would have been almost, not quite square, but not far off it. It wouldn't have been hydrodynamic like the boats that we see today. Um, it would have been uh, much more like a big, square, heavy barge. And so they would have dropped an anchor over the front and back and the um, port and starboard, the bow and stern. I don't know, I'm, I'm, not, I'm no sailor. Um, but... Front and back, left and right, basically. They would have dropped four anchors, right? So that would have been in an attempt to stabilise the boat. That was the work of experienced sailors. And when we read this account, Luke's account of what happened during this storm, we can see Paul throwing four anchors into the situation to stabilise what was going on. 
So I wanted to jump forward to halfway through that, the, the, the chapter because it's important that this morning's sermon is going to focus on those four anchors. But I, I, I felt it was necessary to, to make that clear. That's what we're doing. That's where we're going. We are dropping four anchors. We're looking at what Paul does and we're looking at how it can be relevant to, to our situation here as a church, our situation maybe at work or maybe in family or maybe in relationships or maybe in, in future situations that we'll find ourselves in or maybe we look back and think, I made a real pig's ear of that situation I was in 10 years ago. And actually, I realise now that if I'd, if I'd known these four anchors, if, I, if I'd thought about that, then maybe I could have done something differently and we can learn a lesson for our future. So, chapter 27, verse 9. Luke tells us, Much time had been lost and sailing had already become dangerous because by now it was after the fast. So they're entering storm season. So Paul warns them. So Paul warns his, um, the, the soldiers that were guarding him. He warns the crew of the ship. He says, men, I can see that our voyage is going to be disastrous and bring great loss to the ship and the cargo and to our own lives also. So Paul gives warning. He, he voices his opinion. But the centurion, instead of listening to what Paul said, followed the advice of the pilot and of the owner of the ship. Since the harbour was unsuitable to winter in, the majority decided that we should sail on, hoping to reach Phoenix and winter there. This was a harbour in Crete, facing both southwest and northwest. So just to make sense of that, Phoenix, um, you can still look it up. It's a, it's a very small place, but it's actually still there um, in Crete. And uh, it's, it's just on the... Um, uh, Crete's a sort of rough, oval-shaped island. And on the, on the western point is this place called Phoenix. So you can imagine um, it faces west and north, north and south. Um, it's got a good aspect. The place they, they'd been in, Fair Havens, was unsuitable to winter because there wasn't much going on there. It wasn't a sort of a, as big as Phoenix. Supplies weren't as easy to come by. Weather-wise, it would have been safe to stay there. It was a sheltered harbour. But the crew and the pilot wanted to get to Phoenix. It just seemed like a better place to spend the winter. But Paul, the first thing he does is... He, he, the first anchor that he drops into this situation is the anchor of reality... He says, I can see that our voyage is going to be disastrous. Look at the weather. Just take a look. We're entering storm season and the storm's already beginning. We've already struggled to get to this point. Let's not, let's not take a massive risk. We'll be okay to stay here. We've got grain on board. There are some supplies. Maybe we can send out people inland to, to find some, some sheep or, or something to, to, um, to supplement the grain that we've got on board. Let's not take a massive risk because I'm pretty sure that's going to go wrong. And so the anchor of reality is important. When I think of church at the moment, what's the anchor of reality that we need to be prepared to throw out there? It's the reality that actually we're not as, as rich in resources as we used to be, people-wise, ministry team-wise, volunteer-wise. 
We are all recovering from, from what we've been through in the past 18 months. And I know for some people, I say, oh, come on, stop banging on about that. But it's true. There are people in church today who are here for the first time. There are people watching at home who don't yet feel comfortable. We are all in our own time scale getting back into some sort of normality. And normality doesn't have to mean that we do everything that we used to do. We're discovering a new normality. That brings with it opportunity and excitement. There have been things that we've done already as a church that we've not done before. Why have we done them? Because we've kind of been forced to. But they've been brilliant. A few weeks ago, we didn't have a Sunday morning service. Here, we had 50 or so people that met in a park for fellowship. And all those people that I've spoken to, I was down at, down at Sunnymead that morning, but all those people I've spoken to have said, that was brilliant, that was just what we needed, to have those conversations, to, to rekindle those relationships, that was really good. That was something new that we haven't done before. And maybe we'll do it again. That would be great. But we would never have done it before, but we kind of, we've done it because we have to drop the anchor of reality. And there was one Sunday where we had to say, we have, we have no way of putting on a service we have no, no technology, it can't be amplified, we could stand here and shout, but that's not going to be much fun. Rather than force, to force ourselves to do what we've always done, let's do something differently. The anchor of reality is not something to be afraid of, it's something to embrace. But of course, Paul found himself throwing out the anchor of reality and being ignored because he was not in a position of authority, he was a prisoner. And so... The decision is taken by the pilot, the experienced captain of the ship, and the crew, the experienced sailors, to leave their havens and to head west towards Phoenix, to take the risk. Luke continues, When a gentle south wind began to blow, they thought they had obtained what they wanted, so they weighed anchor and sailed along the shore of Crete. They think, fantastic, the wind's changed, we're in luck. (laughs) Paul, don't know what you're talking about, mate. Off we go. And they start to make progress. Before very long, a wind of hurricane force called the Northeaster swept down from the island. The ship was caught by the storm and could not head into the wind. So we gave way to it and were driven along. As we passed to the lee of a small island called Cowder, we were hardly able to make the lifeboat secure. When the men had hoisted it aboard, they passed ropes under the ship itself to hold it together. So things are so bad at this point that they're they're, they're trying to pass ropes underneath the ship to try and bind it together to stop it breaking up. There is already a fear of shipwreck. Fearing they'd be run aground on the sandbars of Sirtis, they lowered the sea anchor and let the ship be driven along. We took such a violent battering from the storm that the next day they began to throw the cargo overboard. On the third day, they, throw the ship's t- they threw the ship's tackle overboard with their own hands. When neither sun nor stars appeared for many days and the storm continued raging, we finally gave up all hope of being saved. That section of Luke's narrative has been, um, has been uh, verified by um, nautical experts, uh, people who, who know what they're talking about, um, about um, seamanship and... 
uh, sailing in the Mediterranean in this period. The way he describes the weather, the way he describes the threat to the ship, the way he describes um, the, the process of eventually throwing overboard the cargo and then the ship's tackle. Um, I'm not entirely sure what's meant by ship's tackle, to be honest, but people who do know have said that this is a really accurate and reliable account of what they would have done in a storm at this point. And therefore, there is very little question that this is a first-hand account that Luke wrote this um, shortly after um, this episode had come to an end. This account is, is trustworthy, and apparently it's of, it's of value to maritime historians. But that last verse, when neither sun nor has appeared for many days and the storm continued raging, we gave up all hope of being saved. This is absolutely desperate. And so in the, the next phase of the, of the narrative, we see the second anchor being dropped. After the men had gone a long time without food, Paul stood up before them and said, Men, you should have taken my advice not to sail from Crete. <laughs> he must have enjoyed that. Told you so. <laughs> then you would have spared yourselves this damage and loss. But now I urge you to keep up your courage, because not one of you will be lost. Only the ship will be destroyed. Last night, an angel of the God whose I am and whom I serve stood beside me and said, Do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand trial before Caesar, and God has graciously given you the lives of all who sail with you. So keep up your courage, men, for I have faith in God that it will happen just as he told me. Nevertheless, we must run aground on some island. So Paul, Paul, Paul throws out here the anchor of faith. He says, look, I know things are going really badly. I know you're probably kicking yourselves for not listening to me. But, but last night an angel of my God appeared to me. And the angel of my God assured me that I am going to stand trial before Caesar, which is the whole reason for me being on this ship in the first place. And he told me that the lives of each and every one of you on this ship will be saved as mine will. And I trust in my God. I have faith in my God because he's told me where I'm going. I don't know how. I don't know what the journey is going to involve. I don't know how we're going to get there, but I know we're going to get there because my God doesn't break his promises. We're on a journey. We're going through an awful storm. The ship is going to break up, but it's not about the ship. It's about the crew. It's about keeping the crew together and making sure that we don't lose heart, that we don't give up, that we keep our faith in our God and that we stay focused on the destination that he has promised us. And if we keep that faith, the ship might run aground, the ship might break up, but we will be saved. Whenever... Whenever we go through any sort of horrendous situation, as individual believers in God, the Father, the Son and the Holy Spirit, our challenge is to show that sort of faith. It's to be the ones that stand up in a storm, whether it's, whether it's talking to a congregation, whether it's talking to a, a, a team at work, whether it's talking to, um, to, to people at a social club or a sports club, whether it's talking to family or neighbours, or whether we are simply standing in our own bedroom talking to ourselves in a mirror. Our faith must mirror 
that of Paul, who says, this is part of the journey. It's horrible, it's horrific. I'm cold, I'm wet, I'm hungry, I'm desperate. Those around me have lost, have lost all hope, have given up. But God, God's told me where I'm going. I know the destination. I know that one day I will be with him. I know that I've got this journey to go through in life. Jesus never once said, follow me and you will have no suffering and no pain and no hardship and no challenge. He never said that. He said, follow me and I'll walk that journey with you. I will be there with you. I will be the lamp to your feet, guiding your path. And we'll get to the destination together. And there I will vouch for you because you're mine. We know the destination, we just don't necessarily know the detail of the journey. And so the anchor of faith is something that we, when we go through these times, we need to drop that anchor and we need to hold firm to that rope and remind ourselves that that anchor is unshiftable, it is unmovable. Luke goes on, verse 27. On the 14th night, the 14th night, this storm's been raging now for two weeks. On the 14th night, we were still being driven across the Adriatic Sea when about midnight, the sailors, so these are the experienced sailors, the crew of the ship who who had been at sea most of their lives, they knew what they were doing. The sailors sensed they were approaching land. They took soundings and found that the water was 120 feet deep. A short time later, they took soundings again and found it was 90 feet deep. Fearing that we would be dashed upon the rocks, they dropped four anchors from the stern and prayed for daylight. In an attempt to escape from the ship, the sailors let the lifeboat down into the sea, pretending they were going to lower some anchors from the bow. Then Paul said to the centurion and the soldiers, unless these men stay with the ship, you cannot be saved. So the soldiers cut the ropes that held the lifeboat and let it fall away. And so here we see the anchor of commitment. The sailors suddenly sense, I don't know how, maybe they could tell by the worst conditions, who who knows, but they sense sense that they're approaching land. They take take soundings, they they sort of drop a plumb line, I'm assuming. Um, I keep looking towards the berries because it was your boat, so yeah, we'll talk later. But anyway, they drop sort of a plumb line into um, into the sea and they find the water's 120 feet deep. And then they put it up and a few minutes later they do it again and it's 90 feet deep. It's got 30 feet shallower in a very short space of time and they have this fear that that's going to continue and that they're going to be dashed on rocks or hit a sandbar or cliffs. The thing that they want to do before they get into those dire straits is get in that lifeboat and disappear. They couldn't care less about the soldiers and the prisoners. Leave them. Leave them. They're prisoners. They're probably going to end up dead anyway. And the soldiers, well, they've probably fought for their lives before. They can do it again, but we're sailors. We've got skills. We can get ourselves out of this. We are the, we are the one group of people on this, on this boat out of the, the 276 people. We are the ones who have any hope of getting out of here. And so we're going to do it. We're going to lower the lifeboat. But Paul, once again, he drops the anchor of commitment. He says, look, without you, we have absolutely no chance of getting off this boat. We need every single person here to do their duty, to use their skills. No matter how big or small that might feel, no matter how, how, how great or little a contribution you're making to the cause might feel, it is valuable. 
Because God has called us to work together. God has called us to pull together. We don't need one person leading. We need the whole team pulling together. We need to support ourselves, to sustain ourselves. We need your skills. You see, in the story of Jonah, we saw Jonah jumping overboard because he was prompted by God. He was being obedient to what God had told him to do, even though it would have gone against every, every intuition he had. But that's not the case here. These, these sailors aren't lowering the lifeboat and trying to, trying to get away because God's called them to. It's because they're, they're scared. They want to jump ship. But Paul says, no. We need everyone. Unless these men stay with the ship, he says to the soldiers, you, you've got no chance. You cannot be saved. And so the soldiers cut the ropes and let the lifeboat fall away. The sailors were going to leave because they were scared of what might happen. This wasn't wasn't following a calling. This wasn't, um, this wasn't that they were going to go and get help and come back and rescue the people. They were leaving out of fear. Paul says, we cannot have people leaving out of fear. We need to pull together. We need to help one another and get through this storm. And then finally, the last anchor is dropped. Just before dawn, Paul urged them all to eat. For the last 14 days, he said, you've been in constant suspense and have gone without food. You haven't eaten anything. Now I urge you to take some food. You need it to survive. Not one of you will lose a single hair from his head. After he said this, he took some bread and gave thanks to God in front of them all. Then he broke it and began to eat. They were all encouraged and ate some food themselves. Altogether, there were 276 of us on board. When they'd eaten as much as they wanted, they lightened the ship by throwing the grain into the sea. And so here, Paul drops the anchor of unity. He says, look, guys, for 14 days, we haven't had anything to eat. It's been, we've been terrified. We've barely slept. We are exhausted. We are tired. We are empty. But we need to give one last push. We know we're heading towards some sort of land. We don't know what that's going to be. But, but, but remember... Remember what God said. Remember what God said. The ship might break up, but it's not about the ship. It's about the people. And my God has said, the lives of our people on this ship will be saved. And so Paul urges them to eat. He takes bread, he gives thanks to God. And then all 276 of them on board eat. And they eat until they are full. And it's so important when we go through these sorts of times when we are so, so um, uh, desperate because of what's going on in our lives that we don't even have an appetite. We don't have time to eat. We don't have any inclination to eat. We don't have, don't have any... We, we, the thought of eating can sometimes make us feel, I just, I just can't face that. Well, we have to. We have to physically nourish ourselves. But don't forget, Paul also gave thanks to God. He was going through this horrific storm. There was people around him convinced they were all going to die. And Paul gives thanks. He spiritually nourishes himself as well. Again, physical strength is important. If we don't eat, then we don't think clearly. We don't act um, uh, in, in the way we would normally act. 
We need to be at our best when we're facing storms, both as a, as a church and as individuals in other walks of life. We need to make sure that we follow Paul's instruction here. Physically nourish ourselves, but let's not miss the importance of spiritually nourishing ourselves. Because just like we might lose our appetite to eat, sometimes we can lose our appetite to pray. And that is when we begin to starve ourselves spiritually. And if we starve ourselves spiritually, then we are not receiving the nourishment of God's word, of God speaking into our lives, the nourishment of the relationship with our heavenly father, the one who, is, who has the authority to say, be still. And yet when we go through a storm, that is the one that we need to be receiving nourishment from on a regular basis. The anchor of unity. Luke goes on. When daylight came, they did not recognise the land, but they saw a bay with a sandy beach where they decided to run the ship aground if they could. Cutting loose the anchors, they left them in the sea and at the same time untied the ropes that held the rudders. Then they hoisted the foresail to the wind and made for the beach. But the ship struck a sandbar and ran aground. The bow stuck fast and would not move. And then the stern was broken to pieces by the pounding of the surf. The soldiers planned to kill the prisoners to prevent any of them from swimming away and escaping. But the centurion wanted to spare Paul's life and kept them from carrying out their plan. He ordered those who could swim to jump overboard first and to get to land. The rest were to get on the get there on planks or on other pieces of the ship. In this way, everyone reached the safety of the land. No one on that ship, not the centurion, not the pilot, not the crew, certainly not the prisoners, no one got to that shore. Dry, warm, calm, safe. It came to the point where they had to dive into the sea and swim for it. Every single one of them that washed up on that beach would have looked like a drowned rat. They would have been cold, wet, miserable, exhausted. But they were all alive. Sometimes in a storm, we need that anchor of unity. We all need to get our hands dirty. We all need to be prepared to dive in and to swim and to make sure that we, 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 give, we give the planks and the, the floating bits to, to those who can't quite sustain themselves. We need to look after each other, but we need to trust in God that he will get us to the shore through the pounding surf. It's not about the ship. It's about the saved. The study of this shipwreck, is, it, it's, it's exciting, it's fascinating. I'm sure one day a Hollywood director will get hold of it and and ruin it, but it's brilliant. It's an example of, of, of faith in a storm. It's an example of even when your ship is wrecked, our God is not. It's an example of, of the power of faith. Just very quickly before I finish this morning, I'm not going to read it because, um, time is off the essence. But if you, when, I'm going to say when because I'm a man of faith, when you put aside time in the next few weeks to read the whole of the book of Acts, um, you'll notice at the start of verse 28, we have another example of just how precarious life was at this time for someone like Paul. Paul washes up, the place where they washed up was the island of Malta. Sounds all right, doesn't it? Um, But you see, 
they wash up on this island and the, the locals light a fire and get them warm and look after them. And Paul reaches in some firewood and a snake bites him, coils itself round his arm. And they all stand back because you, that's a, that, was a, that was a bad omen. That was a bad sign to the locals on Malta. And they say, he must be a murderer. He's going to die. He's a, he's a condemned man. He's escaped the shipwreck, he's washed up on the shore, but clearly the gods want him dead. They expected him to swell up and fall dead. It says in chapter 28. They were convinced he was about to die. But then he shakes the snake off, it falls into the fire. And when Paul doesn't swell up and die, they say, oh, fair enough, he must be a god. Now, I know I say that slightly flippantly, but it does just make us stop and think that Paul was, going, was living in a time where he took massive risks. Every community he got to had its own idiosyncrasies of faith, its own, its own uh, belief systems, its own superstitions. Every single time that he went and preached the good news of Jesus, he was taking a huge risk. One minute he was a condemned man, the next minute he was a god. And it just shows that even when he wasn't going through a literal weather storm, there were storms every day of his life. And it is incredible that he had the strength of faith to insist on his journey, to persist on his journey, to try and reach Rome, which eventually he did. But that's for another day. Our God doesn't leave us, doesn't let us down. Our God doesn't give up on us. And nothing we go through in life surprises our God. He's equipped us, whether we know it or not, to deal with whatever we have to go through, with whatever situation we find ourselves in. God has prepared us for it. We do have the strength. But most importantly, we must have the faith. Let's pray. God, I want to thank you for your word. And I want to thank you for the the words that we've read this morning and for the reassurance that they give us as we see the, the depth of the faith that Paul and Luke had. Father, we thank you that we can look back at scriptures in so many different different accounts that we read and see reassuring examples of the way that you have looked after your people. And Father God, we pray that as we find ourselves going through, through storms of life, whatever shape or form they take, Lord, help us to remember those four anchors. That we must be prepared to, to accept reality and to warn those around us. That we must be prepared to, to have faith in you and to trust that you are in overall control that we must be prepared to to commit to one another, to unite together, to pool our resources, that we must be prepared to look after one another and to help each other get safely through. Father God, we pray that you will give us the confidence to share our storms with our Christian friends, 
to have that openness, to not keep things in the darkness, but instead to bring them into the light, that we may support one another. Father, we, we pray that we can have a faith that is, that is transparent with, with, with our fellow believers, a faith that is transparent with you, that we share everything with you, that we talk to you, that we pray regularly, that we read scripture, that we meditate on your word and listen for what you're saying to us that we nourish ourselves spiritually as well as physically. Lord, thank you for the account of this shipwreck. And thank you that you are every bit as faithful and trustworthy, as loyal and as deserving of love and worship and praise and faith. You're every bit deserving of that today as you were then. And so we pray that you will help us to have hearts that mirror Paul and show utter faith in you. In Jesus' name, amen.